Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Okay, so I'm super excited for this conversation because when I talk to people about what I do, I say that I empower entrepreneurs to become more replaceable. And some people get really scared by that idea, and a lot of people get really excited by the idea. So I have Byron Reese here. Uh, thank you, Byron, for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, happy to be here. And Byron uh, has written several books. He's a futurist, technologist, uh, entrepreneur himself. And his newest book is called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. Um, and there was a quote on your website that particularly struck me that is relevant to what I started off with. You said that the biggest problems of tomorrow will not be a lack of jobs, but a short shortage of humans to take advantage of all the opportunities technology will offer. So is that just sort of what your go-to when people get afraid of automation taking their jobs? Um, sort of. I mean, I... I deeply believe it. I don't really understand. I mean, I do at one level understand what all the concern is, but you know, we, we learned this trick a long time ago, uh, humans did of, of technology. And what we learned how to do is increase our own productivity and anything that, that does that is inherently good for everybody. If, if it wasn't, then it would stand to reason that things that decrease productivity are good. And then, you know, you should require everybody to work with one arm tied behind their back or something to decrease productivity. And so I think generally speaking, as we have technological advance, it increases productivity and that helps everyone. I mean, I keep emphasizing that word because there's some belief that somehow some groups of people get left out of this, but but I don't think that's the case. So are there jobs and, you know, because you have this uh, quiz on your website, right? I, will a robot take your job? What are the... What are the jobs that are most at risk, in your opinion? There are, there are shockingly few where the entire job is replaceable. Um, and if you look at it kind of across, I'll give you a very direct answer to that. But if you look at it across time, I've taken a lot of efforts to try to figure out what the half-life of a job is. And I think it's about 50 years. I think about every 50 years, half of all jobs vanish. Mm. Um and so I don't know, and I don't have any reason to believe that that's increasing because of the kind of technology we have. Um, there are things that machines don't do very well and that people do extraordinarily well. So the kinds of jobs that machines could, in theory, take are jobs where two people would do it exactly the same. So you can think of somebody like a data entry person. To, you know, two people should do that the same. Exactly. But uh, a screenwriter, for instance... No two people would write the same screenplay. So that is one. One that the job doesn't vary from day to day, where it's the same from day to day. Uh, jobs that don't require mobility because we're still really not very good at building like a robot plumber that can come into your house and, and navigate your unique situation. Uh, and so there's a number of factors like that. So the, the stereotypic job that a computer could do is an order taker at a fast food restaurant, right? Like two people should do it exactly the same. They don't move. The, it doesn't vary from day to day and all of the rest. But there aren't actually that many jobs like that. In most cases, technology enhances labor. And 
And in a way, it's a shame because if there's some job you could imagine a machine doing, like um, like cleaning, uh, washing building uh, windows on, on skyscrapers, you could imagine someday a drone does that, right? It flies up there and just squirts some water and cleans the window and moves to the next one. If there's a job you can imagine a robot doing or automation doing, if you make a human do that job, we have a word for that, and that word is dehumanizing, dehumanizing, because you kind of say this this job doesn't require anything that's uniquely human. We're just using people, stand-ins for machines we haven't yet invented, and those, in my mind, are the worst kinds of job because they don't they don't take advantage of anything that that human beings kind of that's unique to people. It's just turning a person into a machine. So I I, I mean that speaks so poignantly to the kind of work that I'm often doing with people. And, I, and when I'm teaching people about automation, and I try to explain that, that if it, if it can be done by a computer or by an automation of some sort, and a human's doing it, they're just, they're, it's impossible for them to fully engage with that work. And that just has a trickle down effect in terms of the way that the company or your team or anybody will be happy or even operate. So on the other side of that, though, if you talk to someone who is doing that job, that is a dehumanizing a job, and they're in this, uh, they've been told that because they don't have a college degree, or maybe they don't have a high school degree, or that they don't have a skill set, or that they don't have the access to do something different, that that's all that they're going to be able to do. When that person loses their job to an automation, how do, how do you, you know, how do you approach that? Like, how do, how do they use their human skills in that case to actually provide real value for themselves? So that's a fantastic question. And, and to be clear, you know, when it, when it happens to someone in the rare cases where, you know, machine actually can do the work of a person, uh, I wouldn't say anything to kind of like minimize or trivialize the trauma of that. You know, that being said, for 10,000 years, it took 90% of us to grow all of our food. And if you had gone to farmers back then and said, hey, uh, you know, in the future, it's only going to take 2% of us to grow all our food, it would have been, you know, fair to say, well, what, what are we all going to do? And what happens is people use the new technology to increase their own productivity and, uh, and, and do more. I mean, if you, if you think about it, a person with no education whatsoever who's holding a device that can do something, it's as if the person can do it. If, if you've got an AI-enabled smartphone that can tell if a pipe's about to blow up, then you all of a sudden, it is as if you can do that. It's like these technologies empower people of all skill sets to do more. So, you know, when the, when the internet's Mosaic browser is 25 years old right now, it came out in 93. And if you had gone back in time and, and, and ask people, hey, in 25 years, there's going to be billions of people using this. What do you think that's going to do to jobs? All the jobs it would take would seem kind of obvious at the time. Uh, there were conversations about this, like if you're a travel agent or if you're a stockbroker or the yellow pages are probably going to be challenged or the newspapers. Uh, and you would have been right about everything. But nobody saw eBay, Amazon, Etsy, Uber, Airbnb, Google, Facebook, Twitter, nobody. And so the, 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 the fear comes from the fact it's easy to see the jobs that are lost and our imaginations won't yet let us see all the ones it's going to create. But if you just, anybody just takes a deep breath and say, all technology, which increases human productivity is good, then 
humans always use the new technology to create better and higher paying jobs. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me that in this country, for 250 years, we've lost half the jobs every 50 years. But did, did you know that with the exception of the Great Depression, unemployment has always been under 10% in this country? If I were to show you an unemployment graph for 250 years and I, I said, hey, find the spot where the assembly line just displaced all the, the laborers or find the place where electricity came along or steam came along and displaced all those millions of people who managed animals. You couldn't see it anywhere in that data. That's because when these technologies come on the scene, they create new jobs and destroy old jobs and the new jobs are always higher paying. Now, people say, well, are those order takers at fast food places, are they really going to be able to be uh, you know, a geneticist, this new job? And and that, I th- to my mind, is the wrong way to kind of think about it. What happens isn't that the displaced fast food worker becomes a geneticist. What happens is a college biology professor becomes a geneticist, then a high school biology teacher gets the college job, then the substitute teacher gets hired on full time at the high school all the way down the line. The question isn't, can that displaced person do that new job? The question is, can everybody do a job just a little harder than the job they have today? And I believe the answer to that is yes. So what happens to, to circle back to your question, is when technology creates new jobs, high-skill, high-pay jobs, and destroys low-skill, low-pay ones, everybody goes up one notch. Everybody gets a promotion. And that's 250 years of economic history in this country. It's why we've had 250 years of full employment, rising wages, while we're destroying jobs constantly. That's fascinating. And do, so do you, do you see, or have we seen historically in the data that there's any sort of lag, though, between... Because I, I I get it and I see it I'm and and I mean I'm on the same side of the fence as you on this, uh, but when the jobs are destroyed and jobs are created, do, does does one generation get put out of work while another generation gets employed? Does that same generation get a new job? Does that take a while? Like, is there any sort of uh, lag there? So if you look at it across the country as a whole, you don't see that at all, and that's why if you were to look at like I said, unemployment data. So we went from generating 5% of our power with steam to 95% in 22 years. So you think about that. We That whole infrastructure, everything that's powered in this whole country was powered by animals. And then all of a sudden, 22 years later, everything that's powered in the country is powered by steam. So steam needed a whole, you know, it needed people who made engines and operated them and it needed fuel sources and, and animals needed food and people to make food for them and and teamsters to handle them and and all of the rest and and so that's a huge shift and if you look at the employment numbers you can't see it happen now that being said geographically it can uh, cause problems if you if I said look at the employment numbers in Detroit for the last 40 years you would be able to see things happening at a at a at that level. So at a micro level, when, because humans, humans are far better at learning new skills than they are at essentially going to where there's work. It's easier, actually, people are like the most versatile thing in the universe. And, and, and so people can learn new stuff very easily, but labor doesn't always like flow geographically uh, in the most, what we would call the most efficient way possible. So I would say no. As a general rule, there's no lag, but there are pockets of, of relative privation where um, the, the the displacement 
is so dramatic. I mean, if you went back to the Teamster example, I mean, the the animal power, I'm, I'm sure there were places that that entire town was like an animal feed company or town or something. And boy, they feel it. But uh, at the level of the economy, which is depersonalized, I know, uh, you, you don't see it ever. It's never happened that way. So what do you suggest then to people who have jobs that are definitely in uh, jeopardy of being replaced? And, and the one that comes to mind immediately to me is like a truck driver. You know, we're gonna, we have Uber trucks now and auto self-driving trucks and, and like for someone like that. Well, I, I'll, I'll address the question, but I do want to take issue with the exception. Um, I mean, with the example, which is uh, it's probably never a better time to be a truck driver. Uh, right now, truck drivers are facing a demographic disaster, by the way, because uh, every year the average age of the truck driver goes up several months. In other words, no, no new every year, every truck driver gets a year older, right? And if you don't have new ones coming in, young people coming in, the age of the truck driver keeps going up, and that's what we have right now. Meanwhile, the need for truck drivers has never been higher, and it's expected like to climb. Um, and so we're going to face a devastating shortage of truck drivers. I mean, this is kind of almost beyond question. Uh, it's just demographic fact that, um, and so what typically would happen is you say, yeah, we have this technology truck driver and you say, well, you know, is the technology all ironed out? Well, no, not quite. Uh, do we have legislatively, have we figured out all the places that uh, all, all the all the laws we need. Well, not really. Has the legal system, has that kind of rippled through and so that we know where liability set? Well, not exactly. Have we solved all the little small problems like, um, you know, until there's a, a delivery truck that can leave an allegedly scrawled note on my door saying, you know, that they were there, uh, you don't have a complete solution. So we kind of still need people. Um, and, and so on and so on and so on and so on. And so what happens is while all of that's happening, people retire from that profession and new people, because they read it in the media, don't get in it. And so um, I don't think that, that there really are these kind of big sectors that are just going to up and vanish and strand a bunch of people the way that it, it's kind of depicted. You know, the media, and I don't mean this to sound conspiratorial, but they have a vested interest to kind of scare people about this because it, it gets people to read, to read things. Um, I have learned that any headline that's phrased as a question, will a robot take your job? The answer to that question is always no, always. Because if it wasn't no, it would be a statement. A robot will take your job. Um, and so I think a lot of mania, has, a fear has been built up around this. But to answer your question, like if you're in something like that is, um, that is, that is at risk, the number one thing you can do is learn how to deploy more technology in your life. If technology really is the thing that multiplies human labor, then you actually want to run towards industries that have a lot of technology, not away from it. You want your labor to be to be um, multiplied. You know, it's interesting. There's one great skill that you kind of need in the new economy, and it's not taught necessarily in school in a way. Like I'm 50 years old, and when I was in high school. Um, I look back and there's only one class I could have taken that would be useful to me today. Like really useful. Can you guess what that would be? Um, history. <laughs> Typing. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there's like everything I learned in school, I don't use any of it. Like I can read, I can do math and all of that, but I don't use calculus and I don't use geography. I mean, you know, you use them kind of in your day-to-day life, but they aren't key to your career, most people. And so you say, well, how did we learn the things that, that we do on a daily basis at work? And most of the time people taught themselves the new skill. You just kind of wake up one day and you're like, oh, I need to know about this. And you Google it and then you, you know, click on the Wikipedia entry and then you follow that link. And, and everybody, everybody teaches themselves new things. And that's the great skill. That's what humans are able to do. That's interestingly what AI, that's a general intelligence, really, and what AI can't do. And so um, if I were listening to this and I had a and I had a, a job that um I could see, you know, was definitely, and even, you know, it's interesting. I'll finish that sentence, but I, I want to add something. And I had a job that, that was really going to vanish. I would teach myself new things and I would teach myself how to use technology. It's interesting though, because even things that look like technology's gunning for them, like, um, like translator. Okay. So Google translate can translate, you know, as well as a reasonable human translator. So you would say, well, that's not good for human translators. And it turns out the need for human translators is going up. And you say, well, how can that be? And the thing is, is when technology lowers the cost of something to zero, like translating an email, then people do more of it. And people say, oh, I can do business in another language now easily. But then guess what? There's a contract that needs reviewing and that you would use a human. And, oh, there's a face-to-face meeting, and so we need a translator for that. Uh, that's a human. Oh, we need to localize our product to local customs. Ah, that's a human. Um, we need to make a catchy, a catchy slogan in that language. Ah, that's a human. Um, and so what happens is even things like that cause more jobs to be created. Anytime technology lowers the cost of something to zero, that's often a good place to look at for great new opportunities because people are like, holy smokes, I can now do this. and and, and, and that's a great place to run towards. So uh, one more for a specific question. What about in industries where there's a specific segment of it that, well, I'll just give you the example that I'm thinking of. Um, with doctors now, there are artificial intelligence engines and other tools that uh, in some cases, and in many cases, can diagnose problems better than the human doctor. Now, clearly, the... the we have surgeons that are going to be able to make decisions and do things that no machine is even close to being able to doing. So it doesn't replace doctors, but there's an element of it, I feel like, that uh, becomes a lot less useful. And so to me, that seems like a good thing because maybe in an ER, then you need half the doctors because you can have a tool that does the diagnosing. You know, that like those there's there's segments where uh, it's going to replace elements of what people do, I feel like. Yes, I think that will definitely happen. I I think it's also interesting that the number of jobs that machines really can take is so few, I think, that you kind of hear the same half dozen examples over and over. And I was waiting for you to say, you know, like uh, x-ray technician, because you hear that a lot, Um, you know, somebody who can who can spot a tumor. And and so there are these very narrow things that are purely data jobs that Uh we, we used humans because humans are really good at pattern recognition. And we've now made machines that can do this kind of pattern recognition. That's very narrow kind of pattern recognition very well. Um, but even then, it's like, I don't, I don't really want to get a postcard in the mail that says, our AI is diagnosed you with blank. 
please report for surgery on Monday morning at nine, right? Like you, you know, that's still a uniquely kind of human job. What you want is whatever doctor you have to, to get that report and say, holy smokes, I would have missed that and come to you and say, look, got some bad news. Uh, but here we have options. Let's talk about those. Um, and so I, I think if you say being a doctor is, is a data only job, then yeah, machines can probably do it. If you say that's a human job, a job only a human can do, like I was saying earlier, it requires empathy, it requires all of these kind of human only things, then there's still, I think, very much a role. But but maybe you're right. Maybe we do only need half the ER doctors. Maybe that means we can all 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 uh, go to the ER twice as often. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But, but there are going to be places like that, hopefully, where um, we do. F- you know, if, if AI, if we stop developing AI right now, like we, we outlawed new, new uh, research, it would probably take us 20 years to take everything we know how to do today and implement it everywhere it needs to be implemented. That's how kind of far behind we are. And that's, that's, why I made, that's why that quote is on my website. The challenge is not... If there were a million AI people right now, they could all be put to work. It isn't that there's some shortage of them. There's so many things. It's like every aspect of every business can be made 10 times, 10, 10% better. Um, and it's going to create so much opportunity my feeble mind can't solve. Like when there are self-driving cars, the cost of delivering something goes way down. You don't have to pay human labor. Um, I can. You can have a tour guide who's talking to you the whole time while you're in the city and the self-driving car is fiddling around and the tour guide's pointing all this stuff out and answering your questions about the, the city and all that. I mean, I, I can't even think of all of the examples of what's going to happen, but but it's a technology that increases productivity and that's good for people always. So the last question then is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? The, the number one one I mentioned earlier is is find ways to impl- to use more technology in your life in all aspects of it if if a, if if at a macro level the economy creates high high end jobs and destroys low end jobs you kind of want to i think apply that to um your own day-to-day life like what high end stuff can you add because of this technology what low end stuff can you automate and and do the same thing to your um to your own to your own job. Second, I would say kind of embrace uh, an optimistic view of the future, not not a Pollyannish one. But if if you wake up and say, you know, the world is now full of the kind of opportunity it didn't have a hundred years ago for everybody. Uh, if if you were born a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, you were going to be a farmer. If you if your parents were a farmer, you were going to be a farmer. You were going to live and die. 15 miles from where you were born and that was it and now we have this world where you can you can kind of chart your own destiny so if you are open to that and you know you you kind of see the world of um as kind of this full of this new opportunity that then you can uh you know see that and then i would say the third thing is kind of avoid the news uh i i think we're kind of all over consumers of it maybe and uh and it, it really gets you down. There's something called the dark cloud syndrome, which people, if you ask people, hey, what are your odds of, of getting murdered? What are your odds of having your house broken into? What are your odds of your house burning down? People overestimate all of them. And it's because you kind of constantly see that those images happen. I, I'll even add a fourth one. 
which is, um, you know, in the movie, you see AI is like a human. And you see it over and over. You see, you know, Will Smith battling the robot and all of that. Um, and we do something called reasoning from fictional evidence. We see that and say, that could happen because you see it enough times. And I would say, realize just how special people are um, and how machines, machines can do math very fast. That's the beginning and the end of what they can do. Um, computers can. And people are creative. And, and all these other things. So it's kind of like lower maybe your expectations at the at the extremes of what this technology can do and figure out how to employ it to your own uses. Awesome. That's amazing. Thank you, Byron. That was great. Where can people find out more about you and, of course, pick up the new book, The Fourth Age? Well, thank you. Um, I'm the easiest guy in the world to find. So Byron Reese is my name, B-Y-R-O-N-R-E-E-S-E. And I'm that on Twitter. I'm that on ByronReese.com. I'm that on LinkedIn. I'm mad at gmail.com. It's like. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.